This is The Blueprint, brought to you by Executive Platforms. We are talking today about building your supply chain to ensure customer satisfaction. My conversation with Sandra McQuillan. She is Chief Supply Chain Officer with Kimberly Clark. Hello, Sandra. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much for being with us. Now, every company in the world talks about being customer-centric. It's become a cliché, but it, Kimberly Clark, I think you're really trying to make that a real thing. Could you talk a little bit about how you do, in fact, put the customer at the center of everything? Yeah, with pleasure. Actually, what you start with is what does the customer think? So you start talking to your customer or your consumer, depending on how you define it, and you, you really look at what are they looking for, and you start looking at how do you measure how they measure in terms of what you bring into your supply chain. So that's the first piece, really getting to understand what the consumer or the customer is after. Uh, and you won't know everything because, of course, they're not going to give you everything. So also being able to interpret what you think they mean and spending more and more time with them is, is hugely important in that in terms of bringing them to the center of what you do. The other thing that you, you have to, to really focus on, which is where we're focusing strongly, is around making sure that every element of your supply chain understands its role in delivering customer satisfaction. So an example of that would be if you're in procurement, then sometimes you can feel disconnected or not connected at all with where the customer is, the shelf, the power of the shelf. And you can actually relay a metric there on, so what's your supplier service? Uh, because if your supplier is late in with something, how does that knock onto your manufacturing, your logistics, and onto the shelf itself? And really getting people to understand that, yes, service, the service piece is really important, but also if the metric is saving money, it's all very well to save money in procurement, but if the product that you're buying isn't able to be run, so the, the, the raw material isn't being able to be run on your machine, you may have saved some money in procurement but cost more money in the, in the manufacturing organisation and not provided a product to logistics that can then provide the, the product to, to the mm. consumer and customer themselves. So you try and find metrics, you focus on what the consumer and customer really need. Well, you say consumer or customer. When we're talking about customer satisfaction, what customer are we actually trying yeah. to satisfy? Me, the person who buys the box of Kleenex or the big box store that buys these huge amounts? Who is your actual customer in your, own, in your mind? It depends. It depends on what you're selling and the, and the route to market that you have. It can be the retailer. So the customer would be the retailer here. So your big department or your big retail stores uh, and your, your Walmarts or Amazons or any of these. And then actually as you move more and more down into omnichannel and e-commerce, it can be the person sat at the, the computer ordering on Amazon or Jet.com or whatever, ordering there to get their product as well. So it depends. That would be a consumer or a customer. You can define it that way. Yeah. What shifts in mindset have you had to undergo within the organization? organization to reach this goal. You hinted at that when you talked about the need to tie procurement to the rest of the organization, but in a larger sense, what kind of transformation has the entire organization undergone to, to reach yeah. this goal? So the first transformation is understanding what a supply chain is. So when I started in my role about three and a half years ago, we didn't have a supply chain organization in Kimberly-Clark. Mm -hmm. So spending time, and I did a lot of time in the first year, actually explaining and describing what a supply chain is, that it is procurement, manufacturing, logistics, quality and safety and sustainability connected and working together. So that was a big shift, particularly when you look at the history in Kimberly-Clark of being very manufacturing focused. So that's how it grew up. Its DNA is manufacturing. So how 
do you bring the balance of, of what each function brings rather than one is more important than the other in, a, in this supply chain focus that you have to do? So that was the first bit that we had to do. Then explaining, actually, what the role is in terms of what each function can do to be able to drive that, like I was saying about procurement. Same for manufacturing. If you focus purely in the vertical silo, which is a very healthy place to be, but if you're purely focusing on that and you're saying, if I make this product at, uh, and make more of this product, I can save money, you can do that within the silo of manufacturing, but you're now giving a problem to procurement and to logistics. So you're not meeting the customer's needs because you're making an independent choice. So showing manufacturing what their role is in service in that area to the, to the shelf is also very important. So that's the kind of transformation we've had to go through, explaining what a supply chain is, explaining that every element has a role to play in terms of driving uh, what the customer wants. And also, I think very importantly, not fighting the traditional mindset that has been supply chains about cost reduction. There's an element of supply chain that is around efficiency and effectiveness. And embracing that is really powerful. And I think if you embrace that and say to the organization in totality, yeah, this is our job to fuel growth by finding cost and cash. At the same time, we have all these other elements that we can bring. We can bring the service, the quality, the cash, all of these efficiency elements as well. So don't put it in the box of just cost saving widen, in fact, take us out the box and think differently about what we can bring in partnership with our sister functions on demand. So are we past the point now when you introduce yourself as chief supply chain officer, the other person goes, chief what? No. Uh, (laughs) You're still having to say what that is. Oh, not in KC, no. In Kimberley-Clark, no. But I think as an industry, we we still don't have one definition of what supply chain is. You know, Mm -hmm. you go to different companies and they'll define it differently. And actually for an organization or an industry that is very much about making it simple and trying to explain it's probably something that that we do need to invest in is how do we define it mm-hmm. within kimberly clark no i think we've we've broken the back of that and um, when i pulled the organization together i made sure we had key brilliant leaders in the functions of procurement manufacturing and logistics quality safety and sustainability because they raise the credibility of those functions and then people get it much easier mm-hmm. i think as an industry we've still got some work to do to define what it actually is and within the organization obviously you are on a journey there's no end to this but how how well are you bringing everyone along on this journey with you right now? What remains to be done? What additional challenges for the future? Yeah. I think um, the last three years have been a phenomenal delivery, actually, to the supply chain. So I think the initial three-year piece in terms of upping our game by 25 to 30% on cost saving, which is where you need to start to get the credibility, upping our game on service significantly, uh, upping our game on inventory reduction, and also doing the same around quality and some of those key core metrics. We've really, really had massive progress, and I'm very proud of what the uh, the supply chain in Kimberley-Clark has done. And it's, uh, it's both across the business units and also in the central team as well. That's how we work in a matrix. Actually, what we haven't yet done is really brought out the huge value that the interdependencies across an integrated supply chain can bring. So we're still on that evolution. It's only three years. It takes time. We're now in that phase of our journey where we're looking at the, at the interfaces and the interdependency connection points between suppliers and procurement, so working right out to the source, you mm-hmm. know procurement manufacturing, manufacturing logistics and logistics to our customers. So we're really looking at making sure that we're getting the full value out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to take more time. And you sit in your job, you sit right in the middle. You're looking upstream to suppliers, you're looking downstream to customers. How do you even achieve that massively broad view, just personally on a daily basis? With some brilliant people who lead it actually for me. Mm-hmm. The team, I, I, I think that's 
that's a critical piece. You have to have people in place who are highly competent in what they can do and also very committed to the vision of what you want to bring. So we set up a vision of creating value from source to shelf, uh, and that shelf is either virtual or, or physical in terms of the different kinds of channels that we have now. We set that up as a team across both the BUs, the business units, and the, the central global functional leaders and committed to that and then we set up a mission around we're going to do that by partnering with our business units to drive value not not cost saving but value in all its its uh, definitions and also to really bring positive benefit to margin so again we, we, we shifted to a language of talking about in a business unit language rather than in a supply chain language so we created the why we're here, we created what we're going to do, and then we also uh, decided as a team how we're going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. We're going to develop the strategies at the, the global level, which is with the business units as well, um, and then we'll deploy them through the regions because that's where the work happens, and then we'll deliver it in the local units. So we, we found a role for everybody, uh, and we haven't changed that for three and a half years, actually, and we have no intention of changing that moving forward. At the same time, we created key focus areas, five key, st- key strategies that we wanted to work on, and we've made, remained resolute at actually uh, focusing on those. And interestingly enough, I was talking to a couple of... We had a big town hall session recently, and they said, oh, you haven't changed what we're doing on, what we're doing in supply chain for three years. We're so pleased, you know, <laughs> because if you're not careful, you can get into a place where you're constantly iterating and you're not mm-hmm. really delivering. So I think the... Where we've got to is that we, we, we really believe what we're doing. Um, we believe in what we're doing. I have a team who are fantastic at, at working together to make it happen, and we're not changing it every five minutes. So we're giving stability and credibility to the, the 30,000 people who live in supply chain. Well, we wish you the best of luck in the future of Kimberly Clark. Thanks so much, Sandra, for giving us a view inside the company and its struggle. I don't know if you want to call it that, but it's, it's programmed to ensure customer satisfaction. Thanks very much for talking to us. My today. pleasure. I like to look at it as an adventure, actually. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. The keys to building successful supply chains. We're going to learn about some of those today in my conversation with Felisa Coney. She is VP Operations with UTC Aerospace Systems. Felisa, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you. How about providing us with three principles that are essential, in your opinion, to building a successful supply chain? You know, um, Having a very successful supply chain is just so essential. And what I'd identify those principles as are adaptability, agility, and synchronization. When I think about agility, um, you know, it is so important, particularly in this world today, that we are able to adapt to different changes in demand and supply um, at the drop of a pin. Um, Adaptability really gets into the landscape is always changing. And it is so important that we are out there evaluating how it's changing and ensuring that we are adjusting the needs of the supply chain to enable that. And last but not least, synchronization. When you think about your ability to be agile or have speed in a supply chain and your ability to change um, as the market changes, it's so important that you're not inputting or instituting waste and time and non-value add inside of the supply chain. So hence the support, the importance of synchronization. It really, um, really is driven to ensure that you are integrating 
the right components and you are optimizing the supply chain and having control and cadence um, as you drive to go do that with success. Those are all very high principles and they're all good things to strive for, but I'm also wondering, you talk about the need for speed, but every company in terms of its organization has speed bumps, stopping you from doing those things, whether they're siloed organizations or the like. What are the big challenges that a company has in adapting these three principles, which on surface looks so great, but when it comes to actually doing it, it's not that easy? I would say there's just a few. Um, I I would say our product lines. Um, uh, You will um, note that companies now where we have more products because we want to move um, our customers' needs faster and with more speed and so a different and changing lineup. I would also say the challenges of um, peaks and flows of demand and supply Um, And with that become, as our bill of materials increases, that means more suppliers and more suppliers all over the world. And the challenges of really ensuring that we have great partnerships and collaboration with those suppliers wherever they are across the world. I think the other um, challenge that um, uh, a lot face are data we have exorbitant amounts of data, data in performance, data in inventory, data in compliance, data in safety, data in quality. And so being able to really get down to the persona level of who the individual is, what is the data that they need, when do they need it to make the right decisions to enable a supply chain flow is, is just very important. It's hard to find a, an industry more reliant on speed, on quality, on reliability, on high quality of parts than aerospace. What are the unique challenges there in terms of being able to work with suppliers, of which there are so many, as you point out, uh, reaching out to the supplier base? Do you talk a little bit about how, how that's done successfully? Absolutely. So, you know, I would not, um, I would say we're continuing to journey, and um, each day is a different journey. A couple of um, uh, challenges and places where we're, we're spending time is really creating right, what I would call platinum partnerships. Understanding our customer, understanding their needs, and being able to ensure that we are developing and creating the type of supply chain to enable that business model. I would say the other um, opportunity that we have is, is really understanding and assessing both the capability that we have, the capability of our suppliers, and doing the right things to enhance, improve that capability to ensure that, one, they're servicing our needs and they understand what our needs are, and two, we're able to s- service those needs of our c- customer. How important is it to adapt technology to a successful supply chain? And assuming that the question is yes, it is important, (laughs) what types of technology are most important these days for that purpose? Absolutely. So very critical as we think about, you know, manufacturing and operations and supply chain are continuing to evolve. They're not slowing down. And a key strategy for being able to ensure that we have right speed, right agility, right adaptability and synchronization is that no other than technology. Very important that we see and a lot of spaces in this technology that we're playing, bringing automation in, 
um, to drive a more productive and efficient environment is critical for us. Um, some show up as robotics, ensuring that we're doing right things and making investments in robotics to eliminate the waste that we see in the operation and freeing up and redeploying people to deal with um, the capability and leverage the full capability that they have um, in being able to plan, develop roadmaps for technology and digital and lean are all critical things that um, people would say they would feel more utilized um, to, to execute. I hear you say redeploying as opposed to getting rid of. So the role Absolutely. of the humans continues to be important in this supply chain. They are so critical. You know, in any organization, what I'd say is people are your most important asset. Mm -hmm. And it is so important that whether they're touching physically the finished product, um, that you're exercising and introducing with excellence those lean methodologies so that you're eliminating waste and, and removing waste and being able to adjust to um, the customer demands to individuals that sometimes don't touch physically the product, but their role and the value that they create in the organization is driving capability. Um, are developing roadmaps to enable an organization to be more efficient, to be more effective, and absolutely telling the customer what they need five to ten, ten years from now. One of the pieces of technology that is being touted as a means of re uh, reducing waste is 3D printing, so-called 3D printing or additive manufacturing. Absolutely. What role is that playing in supply chains today, especially in aerospace? A very critical role. Um, we are I, I still developing our maturity in this system, but have made significant investments in additive manufacturing to bring that into the fold mm -hmm. for now and the future. So a ve very critical strategy for us, and um, we're, we're doing a lot of work in, one, understanding the impact that it can have, two, making the right investments um, uh, across the organization to, to yield those impacts so that we execute with excellence, again, bringing that into a major, major roadmap strategy for us in the company. And then further to this issue of getting waste out of the supply chain, we're, we could talk about lean with a capital L. Actual lean principles, are they being deployed throughout the supply chain, classic principles that are really showing some result? Absolutely. We've, we've seen it uh, almost everywhere in every supply chain that we've touched. You know, unfortunately, um, our supply chains still have, are not yet ideal. And uh, given that, that means they do have waste and they have non-value add. And that is a significant um, um, and critical area that lean really enables us to do. Whether it's understanding waste and where it is, um, it could be in time, it could be in inventory, it could be in effort. Um, identifying really the strategies to eliminate waste and ensuring that we're driving towards a, a very healthy and optimal supply chain that's integrated with, again, our customers' needs and that the capability of our supplier. You've done a very good job of outlining the, the things we worry about today in a supply chain. What are we going to worry about tomorrow? What is the biggest challenge of tomorrow in terms of future supply chains? You know, um, I, I would uh, say it's us, and us meaning the consumer. We're getting more demanding. 
We want higher levels of reliability and quality, and we want that at right or lower cost, and we, we wanted it yesterday. <laughs> and so, um, you know, what I would say about that is there's nothing wrong, but that the needs of the customer and the consumer will continue to evolve. And sometimes it's our opportunity to understand what they want when they don't even know what they want. And so being um, able to anticipate the headwinds that we may see could be cost, could be supply, could be business interruption, and ensuring that we're developing right strategies so that that does not take us off balance and we continue to focus on the key strategies that we need to ensure right and optimal performance. So supply chain managers will continue to get no sleep in the years ahead, <laughs> I think we can assume. <laughs> Felisa, thank you so much for helping us to understand what are the big challenges today and tomorrow in supply chain management. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you Appreciate so it. much. I'm going to have a conversation about supply chain risk management with my guest today, Anish Bush. He is Vice President of Supply Chain Consumer Products with L'Oreal. Hello, Anish. Welcome. Thank you. So this is, of course, one of the most important issues to talk about in supply chain. Why do you think so many supply chain organizations today struggle with the issue of risk management? First of all, it's a great question. I think the, the definition of risk changes, but, but the fact that the, the way it's evaluated does not is important to remember for most organizations. I think... Uh, the fact that the identification of the risk needs to be looked at always from a, from a shareholder standpoint. Uh, when we narrow it down to the boundaries of what our functional risk assessments are or what our brand level risk assessments are or product or location level risk assessments are, we, we lose sometimes sight of the shareholder. Um, so I think that's one. Uh, the other is, uh, is uh, shared growth, shared metrics, uh, knowing that your KPI is my KPI. Um, develops a, a skin-in-the-game type mindset uh, that allows risk to be uh, universally assessed um, in, in, a, in a one manner across uh, multiple functions in an organization. I think uh, another couple areas where organizations tend to struggle with risk is that risk comes with precedence um, and history often dictates what we think the future will be when we perform the same activity. Uh, but the circumstances in which we perform those activities constantly change more so now than ever. Uh, and so that's, I think, a bit of a handicap with a lot of organizations. Uh, and then um, one, one last thing I would probably add in terms of uh, difficulty managing risk is because uh, a lot of organizations struggle to find that sweet spot on what sacrifices they're willing to make in order uh, for them to see whether that risk will actually manifest itself or not. Interesting. What about the issue of accountability? I mean, where should or where does supply chain risk reside within an organization in terms of responsibility? Should everybody be, on, be doing it? Is there a central person tasked with it? I mean, what is the best practice there? Um, I think it depends on the type uh, of the organization and, and, the, and the team dynamic and the culture more than anything else. But I would say that, um, you know, up until maybe a decade or a half decade ago, it was Maybe the cool thing to say that uh, supply chain risks are shared risks. Um, but today, I don't think there is a need to say that anymore. I think organizations uh, are automatically understanding the value that supply chain brings for them. I mean, with, with the world being the way it is with D2C and e-com and the advent of uh, e-giants, uh, you know now that uh, supply chain is a, is a top-line driver. And so the accountability of supply chain risk has 
by default become, become an organizational uh, accountability versus that of one person or one function. Um, and of course, there is still a need from an internal audit standpoint uh, to make sure there's a button of process and, and you know, audit officers or, or risk officers or strategy officers in charge of those sorts of things. But the f accountability for managing that risk, I think, is that of the organization as a whole now more so than before. Talk a little bit more about this concept of balance that you outlined when you said that there's a certain degree of sacrifice that has to be taken in consideration when creating a supply chain risk management policy. What do you mean by that exactly? Um, you're going to have to make choices on 60, 70, 80 percent of the information if you want to act on time. Uh, and time has become more sensitive today than, than it was. Uh, when we talk about two-day delivery and one-day delivery and two-hour and one-hour delivery, uh, time is no longer a luxury. So when we have a certain percentage of the facts, um, the willingness to go jump, make a decision, um, which means you sacrifice what would be considered in the past an ideal sort of planning uh, process or, or horizon. That's one. Uh, the other is um, very quickly moving past uh, individual or functional targets when, when going for the organizational top line or, or even bottom line, making sure that all parties uh, are connected and holding hands in letting go of the things that would need to be let go in order for the greater goal to be met. I think a lot of uh, supply chain organizations struggle with uh, not so much what to do, but they struggle with what to stop doing. Uh, and as the world changes, they're holding on to the things that they felt uh, gave them control, gave them what was uh, optimization in those uh, days, uh, but it no longer holds true and, and they still hold on to some of those things. A willingness to sacrifice that I will stop doing or I will give up control or I will no longer be in charge. I think these are some of the things that need to be sacrificed as well. And uh, I would say the, the third thing that comes to mind in terms of sacrifice when, when managing risk is to know that you're willing to take a bet that will fail. Uh, and knowing that for every four or five successes, there's going to be those one or two failures and being okay with that and not, uh, not dwelling in the postmortem of those things so much that you... Uh, forget to then take risks going and, forward. And that's a perspective that top management outside the immediate area of supply chain risk management must understand. Very much so and embody every day in terms of the uh, organizational culture they foster. Yeah. Um, it is okay to make mistakes. This is a changing world and mistakes will happen. Um, but how we respond to those mistakes will determine whether our organizations and our teams will then be willing to take those risks in the future. But there is also a certain amount of investment required in preparation, is there not? Whether that's in the form of buffer stock somewhere, whether it's in training programs, whether it's in what-if scenarios that you're running either in virtual sense or in real time, that is an important part. Preparation, is it not? Or, or is it impossible to prepare for any potential thing that might happen and just be agile enough to respond to it when it does happen? Uh, that's a tough one to, to answer uh, very easily because uh, preparation is always a good thing. There's, and uh, as, as a good supply chain professional, you're never going to uh, shy away from uh, giving credit to preparation and planning and all of those sorts of things. I think the, the horizon within which you do it is shrinking, uh, and how often you do it is increasing. Uh, in other words, we're now in an environment where test and learn is common, uh, which means that you are going to do very little prep and act, do some very little prep again and act again. Uh, so that's one, one way in which uh, prep has, has changed. Uh, the other thing is the classic way of looking at, say, business cases in the past was 
as the reliability and repeatability builds, the business case becomes more valuable. Um, the long-term investment plan, talking about returns over three years, five years, uh, all those things are, are by themselves a risk, or working with scale, uh, trying to optimize and consolidate processes to become one. These were all things that uh, made supply chains of the past tick, and to some extent still make certain supply chains tick. But by and large, what has now happened is you want to look at immediate return. You want to look at the, f- uh, the fact that in three or four years, what makes this business case relevant won't even be relevant as a, as a circumstance surrounding that business case. Um, so those are the sort of things that need to be looked at today when um, talking about preparation and planning. Think, think in short, frequent buckets. Uh, come back and reevaluate very quickly. Reprep, uh, almost like uh, almost like managing. Um, if you were to use the sports analogy, maybe not the planning and prep leading up to the game, but the actual planning and prep that happens in the quadrants of the game or the different time periods of a game. I think mm-hmm. that is what the supply chain of the future demands. Yeah. Again, though, to this issue of prediction in a world of chaos and a world of black swans mm-hmm. and unpredictability, how can technology help? Can artificial intelligence step in and help us to get a better sense of what might happen in the future? Is it a factor? I think it absolutely can. Um, I think as the technology matures and becomes more available to, to different types of businesses, I think the answer is a, a firm yes. But I think that how that technology is managed and how that technology is deployed and where it is deployed and whether it is deployed by people who are skilled in understanding, once again, what to let go. Uh, I think organizations that are rushing um, into, into AI, um, into some predictive data management, all of these sorts of things are, are going down the right path. Um, as long as they're willing to give up the things that would need to be given up for those, uh, those endeavors to succeed. For companies that don't want to isolate risk management as a standalone process with one person responsible, for companies that want to instill it throughout the organization and the culture so that everyone is aware of the importance of it, wh- give, me, give us some advice as to how they might do that. Two things come to mind. One is making risk something positive. Um, when a risk manifests itself, the consequence, of course, is negative. But if, if the planning of that risk and, and managing your processes around that risk become seen as uh, negative, you're going to have less people involved because there's this feeling of, uh, of fear, of, of uh, something bad happening when a risk manifests itself. And I think organizations that uh, do well with risk management uh, do it as a normal course of business um, and, and don't give uh, too much importance to what could happen if that risk manifested itself. That's, that's a secondary thing. If you train well for it, when that risk does manifest itself, your instincts will kick in and, and, and the organization will do the right thing if the culture is uh, uh, mature and uh, not too passionate around how that risk must be managed. So that's one. I would say the second is understanding, um, rather as a leader first communicating, that it is okay to work in an environment of risk. Um, and what is the type of reward that we're willing to put on the table against what kind of risk. I think that needs to be clear at all levels. Every, every level in the organization needs to be clear what kinds of risks they are empowered to take um, and what kind of rewards in return uh, can they drive. I think if that becomes clear, combined with the management of risk being seen as a positive versus a fear tactic of sorts, um, that would probably be the way I see risk management being managed uh, better in organizations. 
Anisha, I want to thank you so much for helping us to understand this complex and crucial issue of supply chain risk management. Thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you. <laughs>